His name is Heston Blumenthal. He spent his lifetime adventuring deep inside the mysteries of the culinary world, and now he's invited us along for the ride. My name's Jay Taylor, and I've made Heston's TV shows for many years, and I'm now lucky enough to be your host for this journey inside food. And on today's show, grab your salt, grab your vinegar, and don't forget your prawn cocktail, as we are voyaging into the world of crisps. That's right, we're exploring the unexpected history a remarkable global food story of our crunchy treats, from Monster Munch to Walkers, Space Invaders to Watsits, and far beyond. So without further ado, let's meet the man who always comes with a tiny sachet of salt and a gentle sprinkling of cheese and onion, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, Heston. Hello, Jay. I was desperately trying to think of a really bad cheese pun. <laughs> We're cheesy enough as we go. But I can't. Maybe James Maybe James can, can think of one. Hello, James. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Both? Very good. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are, we, are, we are having a look at crisps today, chaps. But before we do that, we've had some correspondences, as we always do from the gang out there listening in. Love them. Some things to talk about. First of all, we had a note uh, on the flavour pairing episodes. For people listening out there, anyone who hasn't been around for the few episodes, we do urge you to go back. We've done a number of flavour pairing episodes where we put the call out and try all sorts of unusual flavour pairings and you guys thankfully get back in touch and give us some more suggestions. Well, Klaus, I think it's Klaus, C-L-A-E-S, Klaus Hammer, uh, said, hey, I'm a bit late in the podcast, so I'm, I'm coming up to speed on the episodes and love it. Uh, one thing we do here in Sweden, God bless the Swedes with their strange habits, one thing we do here in Sweden is have blue cheese with gingerbread cookies. That's something you guys should try if you've not. That sounds lovely, actually, doesn't it? That oh, sounds, that sounds quite a natural that's, one. I think that's an, that, that, that sounds like one of the you know, great ideas are the ones that seem so obvious, but they're only obvious when someone's told you. <laughs> it is, though, isn't it? <laughs> seems like it's been around forever. <laughs> it's funny, though, because some of those flavour-pairing ones we discussed, though, you're... You, your brain can sort of connect them and go, yeah, that would taste great. Even though not tasting it, you know yeah. those would go well together. Definitely, though, because of the, you know, the obviously through the, you know, the, we did the digestives and the and the blue cheese. So the actual biscuit part of the digestive with the blue cheese works really well. So you can imagine with those sort of soft spices, a bit of ginger and cinnamon, and, yeah, those sorts of spices. Oh yes. Talking about flavour pairing, for the first time in my life, about two days ago, I tried. It's not massively groundbreaking this, but I tried um, peanut butter and jam, or jelly as the Americans call it, for the first time. That surprises me almost as much as your comment, I had water for the first time, it wasn't bad, was it? Because you drank milk, because you got that American, American stroke American football college boy look, although you're slightly older than a college boy, no offence. No, it's fine, I'll so take that. You're not having, I thought you were going to say peanut butter and onion, which is probably made me less... Um, surprising um, sorry it's more surprising but peanut butter and jam yeah I'm surprised tried it. and also it. just I just want to make a, a confession for many years it was it's always peanut butter and jelly isn't it and for years I couldn't get my head around why they were having like fruit flavoured jellies with their exactly. peanut butter until I realised that obviously there's a it was jam. barrier <laughs> so I yeah, thought that's sense. what happened I think it was one of you two told me it was jam and I was like uh, that makes more sense. Bit, I was the same a, as you, James. I thought it was jelly. I was like, weird. It's a bit like um, we're going to talk about, come on to it in a minute, but crisps here in France, they call chips crisps. Yeah. And if you, uh, there's many things that are difficult for, for an English speaking person to say if they don't speak French. That ton of sound. But for a French person, there's a couple of words that are very difficult. It's hard to. to to use a soft H, 
So Heston or hospital is Heston hospital or hospital, but crisps. So if you say to a Frenchman, say you, it's crisps, they quite often will say crisps. So <laughs> then you say it's Chris, Chris, pss, pss, crisps, crisps. <laughs> <laughs> You're terrorising the people in the French supermarket. So oh, properly I've, mad. I've had, I've, I've had in, I remember my mum sending me to get some bread. We were on holiday in France years ago. I queued up, and I was at the sort of age where just embarrassed for, you know, you're embarrassed in public. You're just embarrassed with your parents walking too close to you. Just embarrassed about all sorts of things. In that about sort four of four years of pure embarrassment, isn't it? That, yeah, it's like in the in-betweener age. And I remember queuing up at this bakery. I didn't speak French and I was practicing, practicing. There's a big queue of people and uh, I asked for um, a baguette or croissant about 15 times. Eventually I, I, I got my baguette and she said to me, c'est tout, which means, is that all? And I went, no one. <laughs> and, then, and then I had this little group of women around me thought that was very funny. It probably in a quite cute way, but I didn't take it that way. I was so embarrassed. I just wanted to run home, run home and hide myself in, in my linguistic inability of shame. It was, it was always the, they always dragged us across the channel to, to Calais for our sort of day trips with school as well. They sort of chuck us all in a bus, yeah. dump you in Calais, and then you'd spend the whole afternoon trying to buy like a flick knife or firecrackers or the things you could oh, buy the, in France. the firecrackers. Yeah, flick knife or firecrackers. Those red bangers. That's right. Yeah. On, the, on the strings of them, weren't they? They're all strung together. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Try and smuggle them back without you and your teachers. It was like some kind of knife armistice because they sold those fancy little flick. Not that we were into knife crime in the West Country. It was just a cool thing to have. Well, but, you could yeah, buy they, something that was kind of banned. Yeah, or brie. You always get some brie for your parents as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was exotic. Well, why they dumped us in Calais of all the places to take us. It was so not French. Just like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. But yeah, you'd always bang away with your your Jevoudres and how how I'm curious how they take to you now in the local hypermarché. Do you just spend hours wandering around, just trying stuff and poking things and licking stuff? <laughs> no, I mean the the the, the no the local shops. Um, if I go in there with a busy head, it's quite often. I'm, I'm putting this to my ADHD. I sometimes leave things in places. So I've driven off with the boot of my car open. Uh, I've, I've left keys in there. I've left my shopping in there. Um, and, uh, and so they just take the mick out of me. And I deserve every minute of it. <laughs> having, having trailed around the world, picking up various electronic devices that you just gift to most of the airports of the world, I, I'm... Full testament to that. Anyone following closely behind you will make a fortune. Or yeah. Have you, have you uh, excuse me, well, you, like I forgot, forgot my mind. You have a mask. Do you have a mask, please? You, you've got one on. Oh, yeah, that's why I'm speaking funnily. <laughs> now, oh, in, in, in more correspondence, Sebastian Rosen has got in touch as well. And he's also in Sweden. So uh, the Scandies are strong today, which is great. Hello up there Fantastic. in Sweden. I've never been and always wanted to go. I keep missing the opportunity. It's sort of, you know, it's like TV sends us places. And I've, because of COVID, I've missed two chances recently to go to Sweden. But he says, uh, thanks for the podcast. I told my... Oh, this now, this is all to do with our game about the Full House of Reds, which was set for us a few weeks ago. Ah, trying the, to find the, the, something... The traffic had, light system on foods, good or bad. That's it. Which is the four house of red? What is the worst kind of all reds? Lots of three reds and ambers, but can you find a, a four red? Has he found red? one? 
Well, they don't have traffic lights per se out in Sweden, but his girlfriend, who is called uh, Maraj, Mar- Marja Malvia, hello Marja, she, he told her over dinner about the game and she said, as we said, oh, it can't be that hard to find. Uh, half an hour later, she gave me a link to a chocolate candy with 22.5 grams of fat, of which 14 grams are saturated, 45.5 grams of sugar, my lord, and 1.5 grams of salt per 100 grams. And James is nodding sagely, which well, that's means... that's very red. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's almost more than 100 grams. <laughs> and he said, it's a white chocolate and caramel candy with licorice and sea salt, which sounds awful. Um, oh, yeah, but, and... the, 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 but in Scandinavia, licorice um, is, is so, I mean, such a... It's so inextricably linked to um, you know food and candy culture. It's it's massive licorice, salt, salted licorice and unsalted. The name of the product is yeah. fucking fabulous. That's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I didn't know what he meant by that. He said, "Yes, that's what it's called." And I just linked it now, and it's called fucking spelt, fabulous. Spelt, spelt as the word sounds. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Um, I can't read anything else on it apart from the um, apart from the, everything else is in Swedish. But uh, but yes, Brilliant. that's definitely Full House of Reds, right? Oh, absolutely, totally in the in the high zone. Yeah, yes. I mean, you, I mean, in terms of grammage, I mean, you know, if you're if you're anywhere over like ten grams of, of fat, you're in the red zone. And saturates, I mean, even sort of single figures would get you get into the red zone. Sugars, 30 percent, very red. Salt. One gram per hundred grams is 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 red roughly. So you know it's it's well it's, done, Marja. It's glowing red. <laughs> the Swedes coming to our rescue. Well, that's wonderful. So I think I think I mean do please stay in touch if you spot any in the UK uh, at Heston's podcast on Instagram and Heston's podcast at gmail dot com. And while you're there, do please subscribe and rate us and do say nice things about us on all the various different platforms because it does make a difference. But uh, that does feel like we we someone has finally won the full house of reds. Um, we also had a uh, someone's got in touch about uh, we, the other day we were talking about uh, aging wine in black holes. Do you remember that when we mm-hmm. were talking about yeah. you know, some experiments up there, Georgie? Paugi got in touch. Has Heston ever experimented with ultrasonically aging wines and spirits? It's meant to accelerate the process of aging by breaking down the molecules. It can also yeah. be accompanied with aeration. Have you ever, do you have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't, but it makes sense. I mean, we've we've been playing around with ultrasound on uh, in the past for other things. So, in if you if you cook things, cook sous vide, you put it in a bag, seal it, and put it in a water bath. But an ultrasonic bath, so the vibrations are ultrasonic vibrations, which 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 has very interesting effects. So it, it kind of makes sense. I'd never heard of it. I think that's uh, now thinking right. Where to, <laughs> I'm going on to Amazon after this. Oh. <laughs> what does it mean then? So what does ultrasound mean? Well, it's sound outside the audible hearing range. So it's it's, yeah. it's it, it'll be very high frequency, and that makes it vibrate. It could make it vibrate. Yes, it, it, it'll. I mean, now actually, if you get some kind of harmonic resonance going, it'll actually, you know, amplify it. It'll 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 shake it about, which must add you know get more oxygen or and, and sort of air around the, the wine and, and like you would do with a with a swirl of a glass. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm definitely going to put that on a list of experiments because if you I'm sure it would be something that you know if you did it with a you did it with a 
pour some wine in the glass, two glasses, and then subjected one to ultrasound. Or I'm I'm, I'm sure it could make a it could, if it made a difference, it could make a difference quite quickly. I mean, if you think yeah. about what we've we've done before with the crystals, you have these crystal stirrers, and there's a there's a company that makes these crystal stirrers. They're, they're like um, it's like a teardrop, and in the teardrop of glass, and inside there, there's different there's crystals. So what they do is refract the light reflect and reflect refract and um if you put the this little crystal stirrer in a wine glass it changes the texture of the wine in fact it's it makes it kind of more almost thicker and less sharp but not necessarily in a pleasing way but it does make a difference so i so yeah i've I can't wait to have a go at that what's the name of the person that sent that uh, georgie was his name ah, georgie, georgie was the guy isn't it so, yeah. Georgie, thanks for that. We are, well, I certainly am definitely going to have a go. Um, I think we all three of us should and see, just see what happens. We'll, 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 dis- we'll discuss our methodology. Just involves drinking lots of wine, our methodology. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll test. <laughs> you ultrasonically age it. Yeah. That's it's like great. everything that we say. It's all based on incredibly hard and fast research and, 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 and scientific fact. No imagination whatsoever. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. So do please keep your thoughts coming in because they do genuinely, as you can hear, push Heston in all sorts of different directions and these things will end up going through his home lab or through the lab at the FDN being tried out, won't they? Yeah, brilliant. The point of today's episode, though, is all about crisps. Crisps. Crisps and something that we were talking about off air and we were both quite, you know, all three of us are quite intrigued to explore. And just as a very quick top line about them, apparently the earliest known recipe for potato chips is in the William Kitchener book, The Cook's Oracle, published in 1817. And it says, peel large potatoes, cut them into shavings as you would peel a lemon, dry well with a clean cloth and fry them in lard and dripping. But basically it didn't really change or kick in till the 50s when apparently the first seasoning of them happened with cheese and onion and salt and vinegar and it's sort of debated over who did it first but it's sort of attributed to Joe Spud Murphy and an Irish company called Tato mm. um, and then prior to that there was they've been sold in tins or scooped out of like glass jars for people but then someone finally figured out that if you used waxed paper then you could staple it together keep the crisps in it and it kept them fresher and that basically sort of brought us up to date. So they're actually a very recent history from the 50s and 60s onwards. But the big explosion in flavours and tastes that we know today was in the 70s. So I didn't realise how young crisps were in terms of what we recognise today. I wonder, I'll come back to Kitchener. Well, very quickly on Kitchener, that, that book has the most disturbing recipe in it I've ever read in my life. I might have even discussed this with you. It was... It was, he, Kitchener writes in the book that it comes from somebody called Mizald in like 1600 and something. And um, it's disturbing. It's written in an almost uh, biblical way. Lest she doth uh, tire and fatigue in the process. He's talking about a goose. You take a, and you take a goose and you, you make a fire in a circle with a circle in, in the centre. And you put a wooden stake and you tie the goose to the stake with a rope. And the goose tries to fly away, but it keeps on going around in circles with the f- in front of the fire. And then you mop her brow with, with sort of wet cloth and sodden apples to keep her alive. Doth she, you know, does she basically keep her going? Yeah. And the idea is to cook this goose while it's still alive. 
put it on the table and carve it and it is just and he, he talks about the screaming and says it's, it is a sight to behold and then kitchener in the book says it was a rep i'm sure no one ever made this but he puts the recipe in the book i was really disturbed when i read it and he says this probably this recipe comes from the kitchens of his kind of infernal basically the devil um so that that's that was my that that's my memory of that kitchen of book but it's a really <laughs> fascinating it's a fascinating book he's got re- ideas for throwing crates of spices over the back of big sailing ships to mature them in a certain way and stuff like that um wow. anyway uh, moving swiftly on, i had a question about if 1950s if the first crisps i've only just thought about this but the fish and chip industry boomed post the second world war as rail the rail networks grew so fish then became fresh fish became much more readily um, available to people that were not on on, on the coast and if you think of the boom of fish and chips, maybe they were maybe they they were making chips and peeling the potatoes. So maybe that, that some of the potato peelings were used. I don't know. It's just it's just something I thought of as a possibility. It's a nice theory, no though, idea. isn't it? Yeah, it does feel crisps themselves are an unusual thing for someone to invent. They don't feel like a natural thing that you would do with you know mm. chips. I understand, but crisps it's a very delicate process right to get them that crisp i presume now it is but back then maybe they were thicker and more like yeah again and then maybe if you're peeling them you know you you would have thinner potato i don't know well let's put that in our 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 unequivocally accurate scientific (laughs) historical research fact draw (laughs) so rewind me to Heston Blumenthal, circa 10, 9, 10 years old, pocket money. What crisps were you buying? Because this puts you in certain eras. What, when you went down okay, to the Okay, the Asia, first one I remember, the, 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 the first packet of crisps, or the one that I remember the most, and I can remember where I, the area of London I was in, there was a friend of mine called Toby, and they lived, there's that block of flats. So you drive into London on the A40 on the left-hand side. It's horrible. Uh, it'll probably go down as a, you know a, a, a piece of historic architecture now but it's a, it was a horrible grey sort of 30 odd story block of flats with a lift shaft separate lift shaft you know the building oh, that is an iconic building now it's I iconic. know exactly the one with it yeah yeah absolutely and uh, they, they lived there and we walked around the corner to the shops and they've got a packet that I can't remember what they're called is it was it Walkers made them but they were white it was the salt and shake it was the crisps with the little bag of salt in them, and, and the I blue just sachet. remember the blue sachet. I remember, I remember that. I, you know, I can, I can, I can make up memories because I don't know if this, at some point I had realised, but I'm sure it wasn't then. That that if you don't shake them enough, you get all the salt on 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 three or four crisps. But I, I I'm sure I didn't remember. It was the excitement of this little packet of salt. So there was that uh, quavers. Oh wow! Yes, and they were yeah they were my first they were my first two crisp packet or packet of crisp memories. I get the impression the salt and shake ones are a really old one because I never quite understood the little salt bag in there. Was that a gimmick or was that the fact that they actually came from an era when people didn't put 
salt on their crisps. I never quite understood. Maybe James can clear these things up for us. But I always felt like that was an old-fashioned packet. The design feels old-fashioned, looking at it, thinking about it now. I just want to pause right here to tell you guys about something really cool. How would you like to hold the future in your hand and get paid to do it? One of our sponsors is called Curve, and they're all about simplifying your life and taking control of your finances. With Curve, you can have all your MasterCards and Visas on one single card and app. Not to mention all your loyalty cards too. Boots, Tesco, Sainsbury's, all the ones you want, all on one single card. This means all your finances are in one place and you can track your entire wallet spending with one app. With your debit, credit and loyalty cards all in one place, you don't need to be carrying a wallet or a handbag around with you. It'll boost the power of all your cards to give you 1% cash back at your favourite retailers. And the great thing about the Curve and the deal we have for you is that all new users will get £5 of Curve cash after their first purchase. So they're basically going to give you £5 to start using them. And the Curve Blue card has no monthly fees and still boosts all your cards. It allows you to put your loyalty cards and your MasterCards and Visas onto one card and you can control which card you're using just through the app. If you lose it, you can just cancel it immediately and even up to 90 days afterwards you can move payments from one card to another card in case you use the wrong one when you're using it. This is really cool technology and it sort of makes you feel like a kid again because you're holding a little bit of the future in your hand and we wanted to recommend it to all you guys out there. So to get using Curve and get your £5 back after your first purchase all you need to do is go to curve.com forward slash Heston. So grab yourself a little piece of the future in card form and go to curve.com forward slash Heston. Right let's dive back into a bag of crisps. I think Salt and Shake were one of the earliest and I mean I don't know but it, it could also be a production line simplicity. It's much easier to, to package the salt separately and put it in the bag than put the salt on the crisp maybe in the, in the packet before you seal it. There might have been a practical um, uh, implication but there was looking here yeah so it's around the kind of it's quite early I mean I'm going to say it's it's in the sort of it might even be around the sort of but in that very beginnings of the crisp creation in those 50s you know era was for salt and shake perhaps I'm just trying to you still get them today have you ever seen salt and shake anymore are they gone I think they're still I around I think they're still around they're part of Walker's they were Smith's but then they became part of Walker's didn't they oh, it'd but, be amazing um, if they were still around I'd love to yeah. try them now According to the packet, apparently, and not what I'm looking at a packet, which is clearly Wikipedia speaking, but the Salt and Shake was created by Frank Smith and was first sold in pubs in Cricklewood, London, in the 1920s. Because the salt cellars he provided were being stolen by pub visitors, Smith began to sell the packets with a small blue sachet of salt, which addition of which continues to this day. So oh, I do believe that because when you think about crisps in pubs, that's a whole different strata, right? You're talking, you're talking scampi fries and. What else? It was bacon rashers, frazzle, frazzles, yeah. and scampi Fra- fries. Oh my, that's a memory. Public swimming bars come out the swimming swimming, and actually somebody wrote this on one of the nostalgia cards at the dark. Coming out of the swimming pool, that black remember those black plastic sort of lino tiles, and there'd be a vending machine, and I've got the be- the windows where you could the pool was the other side. You smell the chlorine, you'd hear the kids screaming. And, the, and, and somebody would be opening a, a, a packet of frazzles. I don't know why I've got chlorine and frazzles. Uh, there's a flavour pairing. There is. It, it makes you realise how, t- like for me, skips. Remember the, the prawn cocktail flavoured crisps? Mm. And I wouldn't say I was a big fan oh. of them, but they were very tied to my packed lunches as a child. So I remember yeah. those 
vividly. They, ha- they sort of had segments to them, didn't they? They were slightly, they were slightly scalloped. Like I suppose if you if you if you peeled a a satsuma or something and looked down on it, that would be that would be like looking down on on, on a skip. That's it. There's, yeah. So here's a question for you in terms of from a food perspective. In my head, there's sort of two different kind of genres of crisps. You have the Walker's crisps, which are clearly you look like potatoes that have been sliced. And you have the other ones like Monster Munch, What's It, Skips, all those slight, just crazy yeah. ones. How are the two types made? Well, starting with the simplest crisp, Walker's, what is the process for getting those into a packet? Do you know well, how they, I mean, they're, 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 Yeah, there's several different ways. I mean, the, the, at its basic level, you slice potatoes really finely and fry them. Then... Um, you can also uh, make a what you can make a potato. You make a mix and and then you you, um, you kind of deep fry the mix and they puff up. The extrusion. Oh, if any, if anyone hears the word extruded, so lots of cereals are extruded. It's just a posh word. Imagine a mincer. You're making sausage meat. You mince it or a pasta machine. That's extruded. So it's kind of pushed through a hole to form a shape. And then and then it's fried. So they are um, still potatoes. The the, the watsits of this world well, are still potatoes. I, mm, now no. I don't know, but there'll be start. There'll, there'll be things with starch, gums and starches, yeah. probably. Skips of tapioca starch mainly. Um, tapioca. Yeah, so different starches, and they obviously puff in different ways. Or I, I would imagine. Yeah, there, there's there's several several different, well, few different ways to make them. But this also raises an interesting question: is the difference between crisp and crunch or crispy and crunchy and i when i did the fish and chips show for in search of perfection i remember going to leeds university to meet this really wonderfully eccentric um barking mad in a in a very sort of clever and exciting slightly childlike but you know it's a really serious research way i can't remember his name but we looked at fish batter um under the microscope and of course he, he was saying, that, yeah, as you do, <laughs> he was saying that you know the thing with 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 crunch, crunchy and crispy. A crisp is a crisp, so a sheet that snaps like a like a like a piece of glass or something. If it crap, that's a, that's a, that's that's crisp. But crunch has many layers. So think about bubbles, like an aero bar. But those bubbles are more crispy starch. They're not chocolate. So if you think of fish and chip batter. Many layers, yeah. It's got many layers, so that's more crunchy, whereas a crisp, a crisp is more crispy. But then, but then it gets a little bit muddled. Because what's an apple? You know, is it many layers of crisp make crunch? I don't know. I think it. I think it's an interesting debate. When I say interesting, I'm not necessarily sure if it, it will <laughs> no, save it lives. But in for our us, context, it's, it is. yes, it's groundbreaking research. Because also, questions. it's a difference between when it's out the mouth and when it's in the mouth. So what I mean by that is a crisp, while a crisp, when you first bite into it, as soon as it's in your mouth, becomes crunchy because you naturally layer up the different layers in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you go through it, because you would describe a crisp as crunchy, right? That's that's the sort of point of it. Once you're crunchy in it, or it's crispy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe gonna, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have to yet again. We'll have to defer to. Um, the, the the man of all of all hard scientific knowledge and fact, James. Exactly. Yes. James, can you can you definitely <laughs> the not difference Google between something? crisp and crunch? Yeah. And also, Heston, you've talked to me before about this, but I'd love to explore a bit more. Is the 
the importance and the power that your ears have in this as well, right? Because this is not entirely to do with your mouth. Absolutely, it's not just your ears. So again, f in this work, we did we 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 we, um, we did some work, and actually, this is something that um, there's Professor Charles Spence at Oxford University <clears throat> who um, he might have even got the Nobel Prize for this. Uh, I think it was in the making of this program. I went into his lab. Uh, we've done a lot of work together, bouncing ideas off all all sort of things sen sensory-wise relating to, to, to food and eating. And he put me in a, um, <laughs> in a cupboard under the stairs and locked the door, threw away the key. <laughs> now he put me in a, in, a, in a cubicle, headphones and microphone, and gave me a packet of crisps. And I was listening to my crunch almost in real time through a microphone. It wasn't compared to you know, how fast we register time without the mic, but I was listening to my crunch as I was crunching. Then he would turn the change the sensitivity of the mic of the microphone. So there was, it softened the crunch and turned the volume up and down. And when he was playing with this, the crisps, the perception of their, of their crunch or their crispness changed. And on some of his experiments, people thought that they were eating crisps from different packets and they thought some were, were slightly more stale than others because of the effect of the association between the freshness and the crunch or the, the crisp of the crisp. It's both sound, audible sound. It's all sound, in fact, because it's audible and inaudible sound. So when you crunch, vibrations go down your, through your jawbone. They run through your bones. So you, so you have the vibrational effect of the sound you can't hear also contributing to the crisp or crunch. Actually, um, you still think about a hard toffee on the back of your jaw. You yeah. feel that, don't you? You don't just hear it. You feel yeah, that and you don't even bone. have to consciously feel it to, for it to contribute to the effect of its perceived crispness. And if you think of those, um, you know, the, the, the you can now buy, James and I have got a set of headphones that I think the military used to use them where they actually, they don't, go over your ear, they sit on your, they sit on your jawbone. So they, they, they take the vibration of your jawbone, which frees your ears up for, 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 for being able to be more aware and hear what else is going on around you. So this, again, just like, um, you know, potential aging of wine with infrared, we can only see and hear a very, very small, it's less than 5% of all sound, of the, all the sounds that we know. And we can only see less than 5% of the frequencies of the colors that we know. But just because we can't, we're not aware that we can hear them or see them, doesn't mean to say they, 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 they don't exist. In fact, most of, the, most of the energy that we experience in our lives comes from things that maybe we're not aware that we can see and hear, but we can. It's remarkable when you talk about that approach to it, because I remember you once speaking to me about the crisp packet and we were discussing it and I was saying do you remember how you used to have little windows on crisps and you could see the crisps in the packet and you said yeah, yeah the reason you can't anymore is because walkers came along and made the inside of the packet shiny and silver which does yeah. less than zero to affect the freshness of the packet it's still just painted plastic but you suddenly open it and go oh that's better it's it's sealed in the freshness is sealed in because it's yeah. silver well it's there was a there was a couple of couple other things on that the crisp packet is as, is as important really, at, at influencing our perception of the texture of the crisps as the crisps themselves. So if you were to imagine buying a packet of crisps wrapped in clean film. This is oh, yeah. weird, wouldn't it? 
Yeah. And um, Peter Barham, amazing guy. He's a professor of physics at Bristol University and been a, you know, one, of the, one of the sort of kind of at the forefront of the early days of, the, of, of the science, looking at the science of cooking as opposed to food science. He, had, I think he did, he did some work on, with one of the crisp manufacturers one of the, on the packaging. They, you wanted the packaging to be crunchy enough to, to, be, to be the glue to be, it needed to sort of rip open because that first impression, a bit like when you pierce a pot of instant coffee, the, the, that smell, they inject the co- roasted coffee smell on to, in between the top of the coffee and the paper, the paper cover because that first hit will give you the, the sensation that this has been freshly roasted. And that memory can be then associated with the rest of the pot of coffee. So the same thing with the crisps. But at the one point, I think they wanted to make crisps in cinemas that somehow were cr- did, crunchy, but didn't, because it was affecting the sale of the crisp because other people were going, shh. <laughs> and uh, and so <laughs> I think they might have even done an experiment where they just, they just broke all the crisps up to make them smaller. But then it lost all the it lost all the appeal, and and, and the other thing I was going to say on that coming back to Charles Spence, I remember being in his lab once, and he had the noisiest. They were officially the noisiest packet of crisps. The actual packet it was like metallic, and it was so loud. I can't remember the decibel level, but it was so loud they were banned. They I were banned for noise pollution. That day and it was ridiculous because you couldn't <laughs> hold them without it making a just. It was ludicrous. No. It wasn't. Imagine that in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have a tub of ice cream over your head. Because they inject them with. I think it's nitrogen. They inject them with over here to to keep them fresh. Well, in, no, into yeah. the bag. Nitrogen gas. Yeah, into but this is bag. something my kids are, are are experts in and think as as well, you know it's like when you're a kid. The, the volume of the thing you're buying for the money is a big deal. And my my eldest thinks it's an absolute swizz that when you open the bag, there's only about a third of the crisps that you were promised by the size of the bag. Now I appreciate they're putting the gas in to keep them fresh, but there is something about that when you open it, everything just deflates yeah. and there's only a few left at the bottom. What, just these food companies are incredibly clever the, the 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 amount of research i mean a lot of it's driven by you know having to 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 if you think you've got to make food that has to be transported so it's strong enough to be to withstand all the transport requirements all the health and safety requirements sit on a shelf for a period of time and stay intact the, the, these actually seem like on the face of it maybe quite simple things but they're really not without minimizing the sacrifice to what it eats like so i mean the the investment these big companies put into scientific research is almost as much as the three of us (laughs) (laughs) well they do more than just google it (laughs) talking about which breaking news james what have you what have you well well, i was i've been looking to try and work out the actual difference between crispy and crunchy Crunchy. now this is this yeah this is what this is my explanation so bear with me i think Okay. Obviously, a crisp is a, is an object, a crisp, but it it can be crispy. Now, crispy is a is a product of the material that the thing is made of. So it's a brittleness, it's a hardness. So something can be yep. be crisp, and it will be crispy. Now, crunch is the act of crushing a material that has a crispy nature. So the crunch ah. when you so the crunch is also the sound, um, but something can be crunchy and crispy. So it can be have a brittle nature, but obviously you can also crunch it. Okay. So yeah, I think, so, but I would guess that something has to be crispy in order to be crunched. I don't think you can crunch 
marshmallow, a crunch. for example. Can you crunch right? a crunch? Well, a crunch <laughs> isn't a thing, as far as I'm aware. So you go buy a packet of it crunches. Could be now. It could be, yeah. I mean, let's, let's yeah, they look back on the Nobel Prize. This will be the moment they'll point attention to. This was the moment the journey to centre the food really transcended when they needed to define the difference <laughs> but, between a crunchy crunch and a crispy yeah. crunch. But don't, don't so, companies yeah. make companies make foods that are called crunch, don't they? Something crunch. I don't know. Something crumble crunch, maybe. Maybe yeah, that's because crisps uh, are never yeah. called they, crunchy. That, that are makes they? sense. You don't say I'm, I'm. I'm. If you're crisping something, that's that. The, the act of crisping something up. You're making it outside brittle. the body. Yeah, the act of crunching it up. So you crunch, crunch actually seems to be in your mouth. Yeah, dry leaves, you crunch, right? You got you have a crunch of a, of a dried leaf, but the leaf itself would be crispy. You know, so you yeah, but it's it's. They wouldn't put on a crisp packet extra crunchy. crunchy. They'd put extra crispy, wouldn't they? Because you don't. Ooh, I don't know. The chocolate crunchy bar is crunchy. Yeah, I think. Well, the inside I think. Is. I think we should ask. It's not crispy. We get we're getting we get such such great um, such great um, questions and facts and suggestions from from all our listeners. I think we should throw this out to the to, to the to the wider world. Yeah. Yes, Is help it, us finish I mean, uh, the white paper that we're surely going to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yeah. And we can send it to Brussels. The Brussels crunch. <laughs> yes. The Brussels crunch. Please get in touch. Let us know about that. And Heston, I wanted to ask you about the the flavouring of crisps because I'm actually really curious because as yeah. we're talking at length about crunch and crisp yeah how do you get a flavour onto something which doesn't involve a liquid which will ultimately make a crisp less crunchy or crispy uh, again many way many ways and again <clears throat> this is probably one of the one of the most technical areas of of of, of the world of crisps and they, there's a lot of uh, what they call flavor encapsulation. Now, we've talked about encapsulation, I've used it in my cooking, which is to give bursts of flavor. But if you have micro-encapsulation, you have to imagine you zoom in. So what you'll do is make a, a sort of granules of some form of carbohydrate, and they'll tumble it in a, in, in a, uh, in a drum. And under certain um, conditions, temperature, pressure, humidity, stuff like that, they will then inject into that drum it could be a mist or something similar of an aroma and as they tumble it through a through a it goes through these 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 granules can go through what they call a glass transition phase now the glass transition phase of sugar is there is a particular temperature range when once sugar goes through its glass transition phase it, it means it becomes a glass and when it becomes a glass, all the crystals are so tightly packed together, it 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 becomes it stays crisp. So uh, candy floss, work, you put sugar in a candy floss machine, you spin it and you heat it. When it comes out of the machine, it's melt, it's molten sugar. So it stretches, it's thrown out. So imagine it's stretching like an elastic band, getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And then in the air, it cools down through its glass transition phase and then stays in that strand. So that's basically how they make candy floss. So when they do with these granules, they go through, by the time it's gone, it's going through its glass transition phase, it's absorbing those aromas. Then once it's gone through and cooled down, you've got these crystals that you can either, you can have a dip various sizes or you can grind up. This is just one way to do it into very fine powder. And you can, you, you can, you can, you, that's just one example of how you can how you can flavour these crisps. You can um, you can you can spray them, mist them, all, all sorts of things. But it's um, 
It's fascinating. I, I, that I've, is absolutely fascinating. That is, I'd never have known that is how they did it. I'd never really no, understood and, it at all. And also, just to take the whole, the whole, the challenge and the technology of this further, um, I've in the past I worked with um, with Walkers and we had a national competition to, about um, choose uh, half a dozen interesting flavored crisps. So it could be, let's say we had bacon and egg, bacon and egg. Um, or full English breakfast, or it could be cheese and pickle. But if you wanted to taste the bacon and the egg, and maybe let's, I'm just adding this, these ingredients in, let's say there was sausage and there were some beans in there. What the manufacturers would also do is look at the release of those flavours, because when you think about it, if you if you, when you're, how long does your egg flavour last? How long does your bacon flavour last? How long does your toast flavour last? If you've got toast flavour in there. And if you... If you want to try and have those flavors in some sort of rough order, you can't completely turn them on and off. Not yet. I mean, they will find a way to do this. But the rate of the release of the flavor can also be controlled. And it can be controlled by several ways. This, this world of the world of how the big food companies deal with flavors and flavor releases is, uh, is fascinating. For example, Unilever. Have just done um, have just done a, a stock cube with no salt, and this touches on the, the their way of doing this. The, the, their me- their mechanism of doing this is something that we've talked about before with vanilla. Vanilla smells sweet, but sweet isn't a smell; it's a taste. If you eat a vanilla pod, it's bitter. So how can something that how can you taste a smell? Hang on, smells sweet. I'm smelling a taste, and but the taste is bitter. It's not actually what it is. It's because we grow up with vanilla in milkshakes and ice creams and stuff. So what uh, Unilever did with this, uh, this stock cube is they put ingredients which which were we related the smell of these ingredients we connected to sort of the sea and salty foods, but they didn't have any salt in them. So there are foods that you smell that can remind you of salt yeah as you're because saying, you I'm always eat them now. with salt yeah that seaweedy kind of sort of japanese some of the things you get in that i can almost feel it in my mouth smell, it was, yeah it's just exactly learned association it's really powerful so there's a you know again we talk about when you zoom into the fine detail the universe just gets bigger than wow um this is so cool yeah. this is the point of why we do this journey to the center of but that idea that there's this many levels of control and understanding of how we ingest these things and and the sort of something as simple as putting a crisp in your mouth but the way that can play with all your senses from the packet to the look to the touch and even that i love the idea that they can control different releases of the flavors as they yeah. go yeah and, I've, I've, also, I've done it i've done it in some dishes over the over the years well of course well, i've seen you do it with different textures and your encapsulation and your various different on that fine dining level it it's remarkable when you do it and you can yeah. you can see it more right when you do it with your things because you, you you know you're putting the cubes down and the various things like that yes and also so fat if you think about like take an ice cream an ice cream that has higher fat fat, fat the the flavor release of a fattier the fattier the the the, the, the mix is so let's say the ice the more cream for example the ice cream has got the slower the flavor release will be but the longer it will stay in the mouth for the lower fat, um, the lower fat um, of the mix is, the faster the flavor release will be, the faster the peak will rise, but it'll fall away quicker. 
and it also depends on some molecules are more volatile than others. So fried onion, you you get some caramelized onion on your fingers, and that, that smell will hang around for a, a long time. Whereas, you know, some things like I don't know, maybe basil and stuff. Yeah, they're much more volatile. They're more delicate. They're more sort of top notes. So. You know, it's just another, I, I just think the more you discover about this, the more you realise how amazing the world we live in actually is. And how many things, you know, what we learn, we, we're gonna, we, we can never learn even a milli percentage of what there is to learn, which makes life really exciting. There's so much to discover. Just, I just had a thought, which goes back to something else we were saying, golden wonder. In my earlier session with potatoes, which lasted, when I say early, it lasted quite a few years, actually, and, and, and dry yeah. matter in potatoes. You, you long-running obsession yes, with potatoes. long-running obsession <laughs> with potatoes. I, at one point, you could buy from Waitrose, this is years ago, Golden Wonder potatoes. And they made fabulous chips or french fries. Yeah. Because they're, 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 they're dry matter. They had a lot of, they had low, they're low-ish, water content the dry matter was was the starches in them that they were sort of they were fabulous they were just they were a bit small and then and then in fact they all became this is where golden wonder i think it's where golden wonder um crisps came from because so the connection was in golden wonder potatoes and they probably that's why you don't get them on the shelves anymore because they're all probably, used yeah. for golden wonder crisps I think, yeah I think we might have to check with James again. <laughs> Just imagine it and it exists. Give me a minute. <laughs> Don't give me a minute. <laughs> what I have found, though, is a very rare 1980s packet of Walker's Chris Ready Salted available on eBay, right? So how much do you think Ooh. someone hopefully is going to, to, to part with to, to obtain this packet of Chris? What, what would 1980s, what is it? 1980s Ready Salted, very rare, it says in the description, which I'm sure... £47. <laughs> Yeah, I'll go 50 quid. 50 quid. Well, you can buy it now for £100. Whoa. Apparently, it says the last one, one's already sold. So you must have had two initially. It does feel like it's worth the investment for us. <laughs> yeah. Should we, should but we, actually, three-way split. Let's do that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. 80, so we just eat them and go, tastes like something. It just tastes like really salted. <laughs> I, don't, though, I have noticed there is, it does feel like now with crisps flavours, there is more like i bought some the other day which were supposed to be like a hot and spicy one and they're so punchy now and some of the vinegars in them those new salt and vinegar ones feel like they've had to they're, they're pushing the levels more and more to to really kind of some of the salt and vinegar ones i find quite hard to eat because they're so strong and i wonder if mm. you know we were talking about that that constant evolution of the companies maybe they're having to raise their game all the time and, and increase the, the sort of levels of things to keep people interested in them and they've gone for the more sophisticated kind of combinations haven't they it's always a, a slightly more grown-up vinegar isn't it sometimes a balsamic but sometimes it's like you know red wine vinegar and and salt you know, ah, it's kind of it's, it, yeah <laughs> i'll tell you one of the great ones i've seen emerge in all sorts of things from chris to popcorn recently um and it's 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 a, it's a clever marketing ploy himalayan salt <laughs> what it's is that it's salt right. from the himalayas but there seems to be i don't know if the himalayas are still standing there's so much of it around the world <laughs> <laughs> and i All saw these sherpas with bags of the stuff <laughs> i saw this box in a in in a supermarket here in france and it was a i don't know the company name but it was a it was a you know home cinema movie at home three packs in a box put it in the microwave and it had a Sort of drawing of, of Everest on it and and Himalayan pink salt. 
Now, when you dissolve that in water, it's the same as any old salt. <laughs> However, it somehow made it seem much more civilized. So, you know, Himalayan, Himal- I'm sure there's Himalayan salt, uh, salted crisps. That's the, that's the, well, that is one thing we'd like to ask you all out there listening, because I, well, we're all fascinated to know the huge variety of flavours there are there around the globe, because obviously we have our, our sort of ones in this country, which are popular, and yeah. the, some of the less popular ones. I would love to know some of the ones that are on the far side. Some of the, of the more the bizarre. I mean, you, the, I know some of the pricey ones now you see is Habugo ham, you know, the Pata Negra Spanish, Spanish ham and truffles, which are truffle oil crisps. and um, Really? Yeah, we did with the walkers. We did duck and hoisin. Uh, then where was the the, the the for British breakfast? Uh, there was that was you? A, I like those ones. I didn't know that was you. Yeah, that. that was lovely. Yeah, <laughs> oh, good yeah. work. <laughs> it was it was good fun. It was really hard, horrible research work. Not. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've just remembered another. You know, I, also, I, I one thing I'd also love to hear, just to remind us and, and everyone listening, is the importance of rituals around food so you remember the cabbage cream egg advert how do you eat yours yeah it could be a kit kat when you rub your f- some people sort of rub their f- the fingers over the the foils to get the embossed kit kat coming through or you, do you run your nail between the two you know the two but the the the, the 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 two of the fingers of kit kat and then you wear the crunch of the snap or the crispy crunchy crispy um but crisps there's that pub habit the, that ritual that one person they go they go to the pub there's five blokes they'll get the pints and they'll buy one packet of crisps and then just automatically open the packet on the table oh, I know exactly yeah. what you mean and you can't take <laughs> it from one corner right you open. rip it around yeah, yeah and it's and say, say nothing it's almost it's almost like a I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's almost like feeding the ten thousand with a piece of fish. It's like I, I, I give you these crisps. <laughs> it's come back from no, on behalf of me. Will the beast on campfire, isn't it? It's like they're oh, crisps. I mean, and then each packet of crisps I'm, bought I'm, afterwards, though, will just be just emptied out onto the previous pack. I'm taking the mick, but actually, if I'm on the receiving end, it's it's lovely. It seems very thoughtful and lovely. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a don't gift. Mind, don't mind if I do. Thanks. Yeah. With the beer and the crisps. Oh, Help wonderful. yourself. Fill wow. your boots. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is unfortunately all we have time for on a Christmas episode. That's flown by, but please do get in touch and help us out with all those answers. Heston's podcast at gmail.com uh, or at Heston's podcast on Instagram. We love to hear from you on these things. But uh, yeah, time's flown by on that. I, I'm, I'm sure there's tons more I want to ask you on it. But tons more, but we have changed the world of crisps. Well, we've defined crunchy, crispy crunchiness, which I think is a genuine public service. Until, until, until we're corrected next week. <laughs> oh, I'm, even, I'm just even more confused. I didn't know if that was possible. I do love all the corrections because everyone's so polite when they correct us as well. I, I think you'll find that uh, we love the podcast, but you got that completely wrong. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. That's a very nice way of telling us we're completely wrong. Uh, but for now, on our crisp episode, James, thank you ever so much for defining crunch and crisp for us. <laughs> and Heston, that was really, really fascinating. Thank you ever so much. Uh, thank you, Jay. Thank you, James. I'm going to go and crunch on some gravel now. Walker's gravel. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. See you. <laughs>